Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Thank you all for joining us here today. I'm Tom Douglas, and Chef in the Chapeau is busy getting himself a cup of coffee. Bonjour, Monsieur Douglas. Bonjour, Chef in the Fancy Hat. Oh, thank you. How what was your day? How was your weekend? My weekend was great. What a beautiful morning. We're in November or somewhere around there. Oh, that's we're what in it January. Looks like. <laughs> well, it looks like... Well, we have a lively audience today. We're excited to be here. Two favorite hours of the week. Why not do it here with us here at the Hot Stove Society? You get breakfast. You get hot coffee. Chef Bridget Charters is back there here breaking eggs. And you get to look you at know, us. Charters, uh, eggs are very expensive. We don't charge a lot for these uh, tickets, so be careful. Be careful back yeah, there. Yeah, she's right. Yeah. These people are worth it. They got up early and came all the way here. So if you can't afford eggs at home right now, come to the Hot Stove Society show. It's only $25. $25. Uh, Pamela, you have put together a big show for us today. Our producers here, Pamela Hinckley, technical director Sean McFadden is here. Um, it's just a lovely time here at 4th and Virginia downtown at the beautiful Hotel Andra. We usually tape on Thursday mornings. Today is a special day because... Uh, Pam and I are going to Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha. Uh, that, tickets that for our taping no, are at Hot envious. Stove Society website under classes. What? Nobody's envious to go to Hawaii right now. Wow, oh. that would be so nice. You know, I have to be careful out there because when I go out and lay on the black lava beach. Like uh, that's going to happen. You're a monster. I, uh, I, I, I kind of... I look more like white lava, I will say. You're, you're protected. You're like the yeah, monster. And then people want to harpoon me. They think that I'm a great... Humpback whale out there, so you got to be very careful when, I, when you're me in Hawaii. Some topics we're going to discover and explore today. High heat, know your oil smoke points. We're going to get into this, but I just find this one overblown. I find the worry about smoke point on oil overblown. People always say, use this high smoke point, blah, blah, blah. I'm curious, so let's discuss that. Yeah, let's discuss in our that. S- segment. I'm and, sure uh, we'll have if, some good points to talk about. Well, I mean, do you use rice bran oil? Do you use canola? You know, olive oil, whatever it is. I've been, I've uh, been speculating that maybe that's how you get pulmonary fibrosis. Yeah. Well, that, there is a possibility to that. That is, and, uh, for I, sure. I've also thought, if that was the case, that all Chinese chefs would be dead. Right. And, uh, and they're not. I'll give you a quick story when we get to that, time, okay. that part of the show. Because that, you know, there's nothing quite as hot as a hot wok mm-hmm. with 100,000 BTUs underneath of it, burning up smoke point oils. Uh, how do you say this, Pam? We're going to have to ask Denise. We're going to have to ask Denise. Okay, Denise from Turkish Delight is going to be here for two segments to talk about her family business down there in the Pike Place Market, right next to Pam's husband's wine shop. So he's been smelling... Lentil soup. <laughs> Lentil soup for, for 40, 40 years. years. And if you've been and staying he still away. still loves it. If, you've been, if you're a local and been staying away from Pike Place Market because it's always too busy for you, this is the time of year oh, to come yeah. back and revisit Pike Place Market. See how beautiful it is and why it is necessary to have the soul of the city like that. Hey, in, use it or lose it. That's a, yeah. It's a classic. But it's a good time it to come and visit now because it's not as crowded. There's not as much Yeah, tourist. you might even say my restaurants down there might even be empty right now. You could come yeah. in and have your choice of seats. Yeah. A focus on pans are must-have shapes and materials. There's a pan that's been advertised like crazy lately. I just bought a set called Made In. Oh, and about uh, seven years ago, maybe eight they had asked me to be one of the original investors in Made In, and I had just lost money on another something else, you know, which I love to do. I love to invest in little things and lose all my money. Super fun. Uh, You've so, got quite a track record, but, but you have a big heart. 
You have so, a, a broken heart. I've won a few. I've won a few, but I've also lost a few. Anyway, so I was in that mood where I don't want to. Uh, I didn't want to do it. So I, now I rue the day. My guess is they haven't gotten the nickel back yet, but the, they're, they're actually starting to get some traction eight years later. But you bought a set of pans. I just bought two sets of their nonstick pans. Wow. Yeah, I just wanted to try them. You know, when I buy, I buy for two. I buy for me, and I buy for the farm. Right. So, uh, pan sauces. How do you make them? How do you use them uh, uh, on those beautiful new pans? And even though the Seahawks, sea, sea sharks, sea fish, fishes, <laughs> sea hawks are not in the... I love that. Uh, we are still going to watch the big game and have a snack pack from our warehouse in Ballard. So you're welcome to look online at TomDouglas.com and... Huddle up and get ready for the big game with a Serious Pie Ballard Super Snack Pack. Yeah, it sounds so delicious. What's in it? It's got brisket, I thought nachos. it was a Serious Pie Snack Pack. It's at Serious Pie. You pick it oh, up Oh, you pick it up. Okay. But it, it, it's got the ancho brisket nachos and queso fundito and jalapeno onions. Yum. Chicken wings and pretzels. How can you resist? Yeah. I'm How can order you resist? Mine. Will you order one during the show for me? I want, I want to try it. Okay. Uh, chef, what's your taste of the week? We have two minutes. Soup. Soup. I'm back to soup because this kind of weather really, really makes me want to open. I open the fridge. I see those rock hell. I see the, uh, you know, the vegetable I have in my fridge. And it's not very enticing when it's that cold. You're like, I just want to eat something hot. So make a soup. Start with some sweated, some onion. In, some, in a little bit of oil, sweat some onion, add some garlic, a can of bean, some kale, and some carrots and celery, all diced up, everything into there. Cook gently while you're watching uh, Colbert and uh, come back and it's over. I get some uh, breakfast sausage that I had left, uh, some beautiful mild sausage that I had. Cut those in small pieces, toss them in the pan, wow, put them in the soup. Wow, you the fridge. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Do you use the juice from the beans or not? Everything. So you put the whole can with the bean yes. juice in yes. your soup. Yes. Good call, chef. I'm making a soup. I understand. Good call. I like it. I like. I like everything. I mean, the flavor is in the in the liquid. So you know. You want to know my taste of the week, chef? Yes, please. It's a solution to one of my pet peeves. Oh boy, this is going to be revelatory. Well, you know, I, I, we all have pet peeves. <laughs> yeah. Mine is when I order toast. <laughs> that they have not toasted. They don't toast. Yeah. This morning when I had breakfast at Lola, I've been fighting with them for years about getting some more brown on the toast. My toast came out perfect today. Wow. It was, what was dark it? around the edges, crunchy around the edges. Was, I think some people would say it was burnt. It wasn't burnt. It was toasted. It's like getting hash browns that are hash blondes. Yeah. It Did they no get a new toaster? To no, they ran it through twice because they ah. know that it freaks me out when they're sick of hearing me rant about it. <laughs> So, hallelujah. Hallelujah. They toasted my toast. Don't you hate when you get hash browns you know that are what? blonde? Maybe you should put that on the menu. Double toasted toast. Double toasted. Uh, <laughs> oh, real toasted. We're going to do some eggplant recipes. Pam must have written this show sheet because she loves her some eggplant. And I will tell you, I made delicious eggplant for my director meeting at the farm oh. yesterday, or Monday night. So, Oh, maybe your recipe will win out <laughs> over the ones that I'm submitting. Maybe so. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Oh, wow. I smoke 
Hey, Chef. Yes, sir. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Chef Terry gets most of his exercise being the audience motivator. That's right. You go to the gym and you pay for it to lift up your hands. I just lift up my arm and clap. I'm Tom Douglas. Uh, Chef in the Chapeau has joined me. I have uh, several restaurants here around town, including Lola downstairs, uh, Serious Pie across the street, Dahlia Bakery, Seatown, Etta's, Carlisle Room. What else? Pizzeria everywhere. Oh, pizzeria in Totem and in Ballard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So super exciting right now. We're getting back on our feet. And the Paramount and the... Uh, Moore Theater. Yeah, Moore exactly. Theater. Let's talk smoking points. Uh, and we're going to leave your particular affliction out of this. Okay. We're just going to talk. Uh, you hear a lot in chefy circles about, oh, I use this oil because it has a high smoke point. I, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right? You hear a lot I of this. I don't hear it so much from chef. I hear it more from... I don't know if that's what you mean by chefy, but more like... You and me, we're chefies. No, I hear it more from home cook who are chefy. That's who I hear it from. they're concerned about it. Yeah. Yeah. Pamela, are you concerned about the smoke point of your oil? Yes. Why? Well, I think I'm wasting a lot of um, nice olive oil because I'm trying to get good sears Uh on things, and um, I want to expand my oil... Knowledge. Pantry and knowledge. Oh, okay. And I and I I don't like smoking up so, the kitchen. Well, see now that's different. That's a different issue. It's like people that don't like to cook fish at home because it makes their house smell. Well, then whatever. You're going to get smoke. I can't help you if you're searing. You're yeah, always going to get. You're going to get it, whether it's olive oil, whether it's other kind of oil or not. So uh, that part is not as nearly as important as the part of is the smoke that you're getting from your oil. Adding flavor or mm. doing something else to your dish. Because when you, when you get an oil up to a smoke point, you are changing the dynamic of the dish. That's why we all love wok-seared food so much in, in the Chinese restaurants or any sort of wok restaurant. Is that they take that oil and they get that wok to 100. I mean, they have a 90,000 BTU burner underneath. Your, your one at home is 17 or And you're worried about burning oil. They shouldn't be worried <laughs> but about that's, burning oil. But that's, they call it what? You remember what they call that? The breath. The breath of the wok. And part of that little, that smoke, that sear flavor is part of what makes Chinese food taste so good. Right. Right. And so that's why I'm saying sometimes I get people well, get is, carried away is, with the smoke point. There's a difference the between science and health and eating. Right. And I think flavor a big, profile. Big barrier there. And flavor I mean, profile. why do we still go to, uh, we, you know, we eat junk food, we eat all kinds of different food. We know perfectly well it's not, there's not even food in there. We still eat that because it's good. So we there's do. A, you don't, chef. You're, there, you're, no, but I'm just saying that there is a difference between eating and there's science behind it. And the science behind it says once your oil is burned, it becomes not good for you. It becomes carcinogen or it becomes... Just not good. Is that, is that true? I, I don't know that that's true. I know that they say that about, say, burgers hitting the hot griddle. It becomes carcinogenic, that interaction. Well, they say it for oil that are, if you take your olive oil and you go to 450 degrees, your oil is destroyed, burned, and it's at a stage where now it's not good for you anymore. Uh-huh. It's not something you should be cooking with because what the components that are in there, and in olive oil, for example, it's all live product, that stuff is destroyed and now it's becoming not good for you. And that totally makes sense to me. 
in in the stage of once it's burned, it's not good for you. Right. So, Pamela, can I ask a favor then? I'm going to split this conversation into what Terry is talking about, which is a scientific question. Maybe we could bring on somebody to help us talk about what happens to the oil when it gets too hot and stuff like that. Chef, let's us stick to how does that affect cooking? Like, you know, when when you are searing a piece of fish and you let your oil get to almost that smoke stage or even that little smoky stage because you want the hot, hard sear on your skin of the fish or on the meat of the fish what are you what kind of oil are you using and what would you guess that you're taking the temperature to so for me i would say that if i'm going to use olive oil to sear something for example sea scallops is a good example for me or um, less foie gras i've seen you <coughs> well foie gras i don't use anything yeah. i don't put anything in the pan so that doesn't hurt but for example sea scallops i toss them in a little bit of olive oil before i cook them so i leave them on the counter but i get the pan really hot and I never, ever, when I cook, put the olive oil in the beginning of the pan. When you turn on the fire, I warm the pan to the heat I need. I drop the oil, I drop the food, boom, and I, I sear right away. So you're, I, you're not burning the oil, or you're not... Well, I'm instantly cooking with the yeah. oil. I'm mm-hmm. not... So I'm right there at 400 degrees, whatever temperature I'm looking for. Probably 600. Yeah, probably in the searing part. But I wait, I put the pan on the fire, and I get the pan super hot. The scallops are unrubbed with a little bit of olive oil. Then I put the scallop in the pan and don't touch them. And that's how I get the oil not to be sitting in the pan for a long time and burning. Too. So by the time I get to cook, I don't have a burned olive oil, uh-huh. if that makes any sense. I think sometimes people get carried away with the amount of oil they put into a saute pan right. when they want to. So, for example, on your scallops, you could literally take a pastry brush and just paint them with a little bit of oil mm-hmm. and that's enough fat for those scallops. Yeah. If you're doing a butter base, that's different. Yeah. Right? But the reason and the reason it's enough is also the other side of that story is most people are scared when they put something in a very hot pan. The first thing they do is touch it and move it around. It's like leave it alone. What you're trying to do is create a caramelization of the outside of whatever product you're trying to sear whether it's meat, fish, um, you know, scallops or whatever. And what you're trying to do is create that skin. And once the skin is made, it separates directly from the pan. You don't have to worry about sticking or anything like this. So don't touch it until it's seared, which is another secret of good searing. Right. Patience. Yeah. Yeah. And then you flip it on the other side and do the same thing on the other side. And it's, not a, it's only a matter of a minute or two. Now, there's been a lot of chatter about rice bran oil and how that is the got the highest smoke point Avocado uh, oil. Is, uh, avocado. I was just recently told. Oh, avocado oil. I've is got the d- degrees here. So peanut, 450. Avocados, the highest at 500 degrees. Grapeseed, 420. Rice bran, 490. Corn, 450. And then the olive oils and stuff and coconut are down in the 350, mm-hmm. yeah. 375. My so that's a big range. And is that, are those... Heat smoke temperatures points. are smoke points. Those are the smoke okay. points for yeah. them. So, what other dishes that do you like to make that you start with that very high heat uh, from, well, a, for me from a smoke point <coughs> perspective? Mushroom is another thing that I start really high heat. Most people who are trying yeah. to accomplish sealed mushroom the way they like it in a restaurant situation never take the time to do it correctly that way. You put your pan on the fire, and when I say a pan, I mean a heavy bottom pan you know, cast iron, whatever, something of that nature, and you walk away, let it get hot, really hot. 
And then you toss your, again, toss your mushroom with a little bit of olive oil or oil, whatever oil you want to use into a bowl, salt and pepper, and then put those mushrooms in there. You're going to get that instant, really, really high heat that's going to seal your mushroom and keep the goodies inside. And that's when you want your mushroom to come off, not reduced, right? You're just, you're just going for the sear. Because if yeah. you want it to be, take it to where it cooks and then drains and then reduce the cooking liquid and then you don't need it's to not worry. as important yeah. then you're using the sear as a flavor profile right. rather than uh, actual taking it further than that now this All was right. a bigger subject than i thought well i hate trying to answer scientific questions just because yeah. i don't know yeah yeah denise yabuz is going to join us here in the next did i good you did. uh is going to be here from the turkish delight restaurant in the pike place market on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm We're having a lively discussion. Uh, we're having lively discussions today. Pam has put together a show sheet that is driving us wild. <laughs> wild, wild. Burn I, points. Burn points. I know burning yeah. points. Oh my yeah. god! Are you kidding me? Uh, Denise Yavuz is here, uh, whose family runs the beloved Turkish Delight in the Pike Place Market. It's been there for so many years. Uh, I know I was at Cafe Sport in 1985. No, uh, I was at the Athletic Club in 80. We opened Cafe Sport in 84. And at that time, it had already been a couple of different stores there. There was the pie company. Uh, Serious Pie. No, no, it wasn't nope. called Serious Pie. That's my oh, I'm sorry. Peerless Pie. Pie was in that space. <laughs> and that was started by one of the original uh, uh, owners, uh, or started Starbucks, right? Yep. What, what was his name? I can't remember his name either. That's mm-hmm. sad. Uh, and so uh, it's been a couple of things over the years, and you guys took over when? In 82. 82. Yeah. So it was Peerless Pie, and then you, it sounds Well, like. we weren't in, that, in the space we are now, oh, okay. where Peerless Pie is, but we were... Uh, closer to the the iconic Starbucks, uh-huh. so just um, on that same main drag. But we moved into the space that we are in now in 1992, but on the same block. And you know, Starbucks moved too. Do you know that Starbucks originally was where Sea Town Restaurant? Is? Yes, I was going to say we're just a stone's throw from Sea yeah, exactly. Town, right across from Victor Steinbrook Park. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, it's super awesome, and it's been great to watch you guys over the years. You're such a family business. How does, how do you go, were they uh, first-generation immigrants when they started that? Yes. So, I guess what brought my, my parents to the Pacific Northwest was a family member who was teaching music at the University of Washington, so that's oh. what created the opportunity, and um, my dad just grew up in a small town on the Euphrates River, grew up on a farm. So a lot of his recipes are my grandmother's recipes. Mm -hmm. He was the only one out of his five siblings that had any interest in in cooking and food and just spent a lot of time observing and helping his mom in the kitchen. And in 
In Turkey. In Turkey. Yeah. On did, the farm did where they grew up. Did his mom ever come with him? No, she stayed in Turkey, uh, but he just always, you know, like all immigrants a have a dream to yeah. explore the world and had that chance to come to Seattle and said, what a beautiful place. I want to lay down my roots. And that's when my, my mom shortly followed and they built and nurtured this, this beautiful, you know, entity that's Turkish delight. And so they were married in Turkey and she's came after him. They ended up marrying here. Yes. Oh, they married here. <laughs> but they Ooh, were that must have been, boy, that must have been a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just so wonderful that they've been able to work together <laughs> for over four decades, and it's very much a part of their identity. You know, the market has changed a bit here and there, but some of the ground rules are still the same uh, in the market, and... Uh, have you enjoyed being a part of that neighborhood? Of course. It's one big family, mm-hmm. and we're just so lucky to be so close to so much diversity in the market. That's one thing which we'll talk more about what we offer, but there's so much variety around us, so it's a great opportunity to just represent our culture. Right. I think that's what's so cool about the Pike Place Market. I agree with you. There's over 100 restaurants in those three blocks. Yeah. Yeah. But the diversity, I think, is so cool in Pike Place Market once you pay attention. It's really, really nice. It's, that's why it is the soul of our city. I think it's very representative and not big enough of a flag, but I think it's very representative of Seattle. You know, we're a landing spot in America here. So, What would you say to somebody? I mean, um, there's some rules to get into the Pike Place Market, right? And so you can't have started your business outside of the market and then bring it to the market. You have to start there like Beecher's did, like Starbucks did. The market... Foundation. I'm not sure who, who who considers those rules, but the PDA. The PDA has priority lists. Like for food, is one of their priorities, right? Uh, and food related shopping. What would you tell somebody who wanted to come start in the market? Is it a good place to start a business? Do you feel like is it, uh, or is the off season too daunting? Like right now, right? It's a daunting time in the market. It is very quiet right now. Yeah. I think it's a, a beautiful place to start the business. I think uh, the pandemic that we just went. Brew is a testament to that. Uh, the location is amazing. Right now, I feel like the waterfront and Pike Place Market are the only places in um, downtown that get foot traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we're actually not, we're privately owned, but we're within Pike Place Market. So I'm not too familiar with the regulations of the PDA, mm-hmm. but to anyone who has any interest in opening a business, I think it's, it's a great place. Can people call Lots you? Would you would you ever take a phone call and find out like your story and how to go about it? Phone call about oh about how to go. Would you about... mentor somebody and how to open a business? And absolutely, yeah. I'd be happy to do that. She's a budding entrepreneur. <laughs> I think you would have to have someone like your mother, Semra, though, because every review that you read online about Turkish delight says that the most important part of it is the warmth and hospitality that you feel from Denise and Semra because they they you live uh, that value of really warmly connecting with your guests it's incredible it's a, it's really something special uh-huh. yeah and it's something that is definitely missing more and more in our communities left and right i mean it's changing for much more corporate world than anything else. So it is very important to keep that. Your regulars must be the base of your business. Yes, it's like a 
family of supportive, loyal customers, and we build those personal relationships uh-huh. with them, which is really, really nice. You're going to work, but you're also catching up with your friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, you've been eating there a long time. Are you sick to death of the food? Come on, you can be honest. Like, sometimes I cannot eat my own restaurants anymore because I've been eating that food so much. Yes. Or are you like a lot of immigrants that just I'm like, a creature of habit. Yeah, I, you I, can eat it. I stick to our, our lentil soup is my absolute favorite, and you can do a lot with the soup. You can add protein. We have shaved chicken that is really popular that folks like to add to the soup. That's my go-to. But like you said, I tell myself that I'm going to get sick of the food, but... The smell always changes my mind when I'm working there. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Over the years, Terry, you probably feel the same way. All the immigrants that I've worked with over the years, whether they're Vietnamese or Lao or (coughs) Cambodian, whatever they are, they all want to eat their own food, Mm -hmm. their own diet. I mean, I can eat a coco vin probably every week. That wouldn't Uh bother me. (laughs) A boeuf bourguignon, same thing. You know, one of those classic. And yet, you know, we used to do this at Luc every day. I mean, Mm -hmm. you serve like, you serve 30 bourguignons in one night. And at the end of the night, you're like, oh, I'm going to have some bourguignon. How does that work? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. What about your dad? Does he do his shopping in the market? Or what's he saying about coming up with the ingredients that he wants to make his food so tasty? Sometimes he will shop in the market. We do have wholesalers that we work with, uh, yeah. but we try to make sure that the ingre- we don't cut any corners with our ingredients, even with inflation, um, which has been, you know, for everyone really, really challenging. But you probably need to raise to your prices, is- and your mom will probably say no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that has always been a struggle. So we try to, you know, keep things healthy and affordable for folks, you know, everywhere. <laughs> A pinch for everyone. So, yeah. do you ever try to bring new dishes like to the table, and both your mom and your dad look at you like you're crazy girl? I touched on this before. There's so much variety in the market, so I can't believe that we've been able to just deliver the same menu consistently for the last four decades. We're celebrating 40 years, wow. and um, there have been a few new additions, but the menu has pretty much stayed the same yeah. over the last. No, I mean, there's something to be said about creatures of habits. I mean, plus, plus, uh, you know, Pam and Mike, (laughs) Pam and her husband Mike can speak to this as former, or Mike's still in the market, but you kind of pick and choose. On Monday, I eat at Saigon Over the Counter, or on Tuesday, I eat at Turkish Delight. You you like having your spots to go to. Absolutely. Yeah. This This is what's so cool about a community like the Pike Place Market. I think that's what's so Incredible. Being able to have that kind of like yeah, rotation. I mean, you have yeah. so much diversity, like, as we talked about, and to be able to, you know, Monday, Turkish Delight, Tuesday, Saigon, uh, Wednesday, right. La Campagne, uh, you know, whatever. So it's like, it's Friday, nice. you actually might go sit down for a meal. Yeah. Whereas all the others are more yeah. stand-up. Could you get some cheese at De Laurentiis and just have a little baguette sitting on the patio mm-hmm. or watching over Puget Sound now and watching Moreneur? What of you for lunch? Yeah. I'm super, you know, they're redoing Steinbrook Park now in the Pike Place Market, and they're building a berm in front of our view right now, which is bumming my trip. What? Yeah. They, is it going to be bigger than the one that taller, was there? Taller than the one that was there, yes. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about what Turkish food is and what you serve there. Maybe uh, you have some ideas on how somebody can be successful making it in their own home. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Circus delight, yeah. what I wouldn't give. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. 
We're in the kitchen with Denise. Denise Chavuz. I, was, I knew Denise, but I, I struggled with the last name a little bit. You were telling us a story in the break about uh, Turkish Delight and your father. Yes. And uh, they are trying to call Turkey a, a different name now because we call it like the bird turkey, and it's Turkey. 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 Yes. And when you mentioned it, it reminded me of a story that my dad has told probably too many times. But when he first immigrated here, it was around Thanksgiving, and he kept hearing turkey on the radio <laughs> everywhere. He was like, wow, I had no idea how popular turkey yeah. was. <laughs> and then someone had to break it to him. But <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Just my like time of year, yeah. I went to the, wants to go to what turkey. What a warm welcome. <laughs> I went to the market. Everybody knew about turkey. <laughs> So we talked about your family history a bit and uh, Turkish Delight being a 40-year anniversary this year. Uh, What can people expect when they walk through the door other than that delicious smell? Uh, But uh, what is Turkish food? I say delicious smell and our smiling smiling faces. (laughs) Warm welcome when you come in. Well, that's a big part of it. Yes. Hospitality is always a big part of it. When you walk in, well, we reel you in with the smells, um, but you can expect just... A simple menu with simple ingredients, good quality, homemade. My father tr- make, tries to make everything from scratch, and we serve uh, soup, sandwiches, uh, desserts. We also make our handcrafted Turkish lights, which are soft, chewy confections. Right. We um, know them around here as, what's the one that just went out? Applets and cutlets. Applets and cutlets. Yes. It's kind of a version of that, right? Yeah. And I think the original... the. Two brothers that started it are Armenian from that southern region of Turkey. I'm not 100% sure, but I think when they came here, they wanted to do a play on Turkish lights and decided to call it Applets and Cotlets. And And they were using kind of like apricot jelly and apple jelly to kind of bind nuts and things like that. Yes, with nuts, fruits and nuts. powdered sugar. Mmm. I always loved them. Apple and cotlets But I always liked fruit cake, too. You know, a lot of people struggle with that kind of stuff, but I love that. Yes, we offer them in a variety of different flavors, and I would say that's probably one of our more popular pulls into the store because the name of our restaurant happens to be Turkish Delight, and then they come in and they're pleasantly surprised that we do actually serve food. Full service. (laughs) Um, There's another one of those that I like that you use, I believe, the rose water in to kind of give it that rose scent. That is considered the original flavor. Is it? The rose, Turkish Delight. The name... um, Turkish light is lokum in Turkish, and it means to cleanse the palate. So the rose flavor was supposed to be used after a meal, sort of like a breath freshener. Yeah, interesting. Sounds That's good. where it came, that comes from. And all they the do that. They do that also in uh, in Morocco and North North Africa. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of rose water too. So uh, now I'm coming in for lunch. You've told us about a delicious lentil soup. What else is... Um... No, let's sp- uh, spend a minute on the lentil soup because it's legendary. Oh, okay. <laughs> is it uh, vegetarian? It is. Okay. It's um, vegetable-based. It's primary, primarily made with red lentil, 
lots of fresh herbs and spices and onions, carrots, celery. Yes, absolutely. Um, my father doesn't have any measurements. He just kind of throws everything together. So there's always a personal touch and a subtle difference every time you taste it. And uh, like I mentioned before, you can add meat to it if you're not vegetarian. We have a rotisserie similar to um, shawarma mm. Mm. or is it gyro or gyro? Gyro. Gyro. Yeah. Don. We call it doner. Doner kebab. Yeah, doner kebab. And uh, we shave off the meat off the rotisserie, and you can add it to the lentil soup. That's actually our most popular thing, especially this time of year. Um, But it's hard to come by flavor-packed lentil soup. A lot of the food tours, they inquire about the soup. And we've also collaborated with Savor Seattle and packaged our lentil soup for them. But aside from the lentil soup, uh, we also offer a really nice hearty lamb stew. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's what I had the last time I was there. I think that's your favorite yeah. when you order. Ooh, <laughs> I didn't know Come about in and that. get the lamb stew with the basmati rice. And uh, you can and have vegetables. that with vegetables. It yeah. has eggplant, okra, bell peppers, a medley of lots of different other vegetables that aren't coming to my mind right oh, now. Mizukini. But Sometimes yeah. I think he just kind of switches it up seasonally depending right. on um, what he can find. And that's find. something that if I were to go to Turkey, I would find that very same thing all over. Right? That's yeah. that's home food. It is. Yeah. That's why when you asked, you get sick of the food. It's just like a home cooked meal every yeah. time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah you can't I get don't tired tire of, that. of it. <laughs> um, but in Turkey, that dish would be called güvec. 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 Yeah. A stew, lamb stew. And it melts in your mouth. Not afraid it's of cook that all the way. That's good. <laughs> Comfort food. What about the hummus, man? You know I'm a freak. And what I love about it is that it does change a little bit. It seems like your dad is working sometimes some magic. Sometimes it's a little zesty. Sometimes a little it has zest. more of a garlic kick yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty Allah. special. Thank you. I'm a hummus fanatic and... There. We serve that in our combo, our combo platters with either the lamb stew over rice or chicken over rice. Or you how can many, just day, how many days a week are you open? We're open five days a week at the what moment. What day are you closed? Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. That's ball. why she's Oddball finally Tuesday, here. Wednesday. <laughs> in the middle of the week. The weekends, as you know, are, are busier Right. in Pike Place Market. And since we're such a small operation, it's me, mom, and pop. Three people doing all that work. Yes. How many seats? I, well, we have three booths. Uh, right now, we have our, our countertops, but um, still not full capacity. Uh, we can probably seat up to probably 20. For some reason, I'm remembering kind of hand pies in the case, so some sort of dough wrap. We uh, did serve uh, savory pastries made with phyllo, uh-huh. spinach feta, that's right Similar up my alley. Um, Anything with spinach for me or, or Swiss chard or something like that, yeah. Yes, and we played on different variations, chicken um, with mushrooms and parsley or spiced beef pastry. Uh-huh. But I would say the baklava as well, we offer... That's pretty um, special. The pistachio-flavored baklava mm. is our best seller. You guys make that on the promises? Yes. My father, believe it or not, he gets he's the early bird. He gets there early in the morning mm-hmm. to cook the food, and we'll come in and help prep um, before we open for lunch. But he's the one that makes everything. Wow. Even What's the so candies. He's just cranking out 
The Turkish delights so all by hand. <laughs> he's all alone in the kitchen. He can be a temperamental. Is he uh, alone process. in the kitchen? He is. Yes. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. That's an how amount much of production. What is the secret to making perfect baklava? Because I feel like when I have it around at all the different Greek restaurants, Armenian restaurants, whatever it is, it's rarely perfect. Yes, the layering and the sugar and the syrup that you use is the key to making great baklava. And of course, repetition. Right. So layers Making of phyllo and, and, he, nuts, he, and, and nuts. butter. But does he put the butter in the layers of phyllo? Or is that, yes, yes, he does. Okay. He butters every pretty one. much every, every layer. layer. That's how they stick mm-hmm. together, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a layer of nuts. And is, are the nuts are ground? The nuts are ground, uh-huh. yes. And then the, what's the syrup? Just sugar and water? And he'll also... I don't rolls know maybe. if I should give this away. Yes, you but. should. <laughs> maybe it'll rolls a lot of... <laughs> it makes it really healthy is um, adding pumpkin seeds to the mix, too. Oh. Pumpkin seeds with pistachios. Yeah. Um, now we have the secret. Yes. <laughs> why does that make it healthier? I just think that pumpkin seeds in general um, are really healthy. Yeah. You can toss it in They're salads, use it in everything. I think it just it makes but it a grounded. healthier dessert. Grounded, right? Grounded, yeah. yes, with the pistachios. So they probably even render a little oil when they cook, when they bake. Mm? Yes. <laughs> uh, Denise Javu has been our guest. Uh, she is the uh, one of the owners, operators of Turkish Delight Restaurant there in the Pike Place Market. If you're going down or uh, through the market, it's right towards the end where Pike Place and Virginia meet up. And Pike and Western Wine Shop is on the corner, and then you're the next business south. From the corner Between the knife shop, shop and the uh, just a and the wine shop from uh, Sea Town, <laughs> our restaurant right across the street right. from there, on the Virginia side of things. All right, thanks, Denise. Uh, Thank you so much, Denise. Next up, Thank we're going to talk about the different pans that you should have in your kitchen, possibly how to use them on Cairo Radio, Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Welcome back to our number two of the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. We've got lots of good things to talk about. Uh, this is a question I get asked all the time, Chef, how about you, about what kind of pans in the kitchen and what do you use them for? So we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. Uh, we're going to talk about making pan sauces after that so that uh, when you have a pan that's got all those delicious little tidbits in it, how do you get them up? How do you get, integrate them into a sauce? Yeah, don't throw it in the do sink. Do you or do you strain out the bits if they don't break down? All that kind of stuff. Uh, tempting eggplant preparations. I made the most delicious eggplant dish the other night, and I'm going to share it with you. I'm heartbroken that I didn't get to eat that. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. When I make delicious eggplant, it's always got something else with it. Yeah. So mine was eggplant and shiitake, right? Oh, so I like I like that. And magic when they get both get cooked together, they both have similar textures. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. And then, of course, uh, I'm not sure who's going to join us for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. But I hope it's uh, Bridget so that we can kick her patootie. Well, I think Chef Bridget deserves it because she made beautiful eggs today for breakfast for the audience member here. Yeah, and she's and the most competitive person I know. You know she's eggs. a world champion tennis player. She's a yachter. 
She's uh, she's definitely a competitive person. Yeah, you, you you put any competition in front of her, and she thinks she's going to win. So we're going <laughs> to she thinks we're going to cut her down the size today. <laughs> hey, I like the attitude. Hate to break you the news. She wins very often. <laughs> what is that? What is that guy? Hal Sutton always said, "Be the right club today." <laughs> when he hits a shot <laughs> on the golf course. Anyway, pans, essential pans for your kitchen, chef. Name me two. Cast iron, because you can always be saved with a cast iron. That's what I believe. What do you mean always be safe? Saved, as oh, in saved. if you need um, hard, hard heat, like high heat, mm-hmm. I think a cast iron is a safety pan that will not be destroyed by the time you're done with whatever you're trying to have uh-huh. high heat on. Uh, so an enameled cast iron or a, like a large black cast just iron? Just a large $10 cast iron, 12-inch round mm-hmm. You should have one of those in your rack as a backup, only because it's very useful for a lot of things. And um, I tell you the first example of why it's useful, if you're making corn tortilla at home, uh, or no, you're warming up corn tortilla for your tacos, whatever, you get some leftover meat and you want to dice some avocado, a little salsa, and throw that together, the cast iron pan is the best pan to warm up your corn tortilla. You just put it on the fire, start making your prep. By the time you turn around, it's nice and hot, and you just... Throwing your tortillas in there, they will warm up perfectly well, just like a beautiful plancha. Okay. And that's what it's very useful for, is for things like this, or for searing a beautiful steak. If you have a steak, you want to sear your steak perfectly well, cast iron pan, turn on the fire, walk away, go make yourself a cocktail, drink half of it. Now your pan is hot. That's how it works. I know it sounds funny, but... Get it hot. I mean, that's one thing that people need to understand. When we talk high heat in the kitchen, in the restaurant kitchen, we're not talking like, you know, you put it on and then you start putting stuff in it. You have to walk away, let it get hot. It takes a little while, but once it's hot, that's how you get that beautiful caramelization going on on your meat. The only thing I would say to be concerned about is cast iron, you know, builds up over the years, a nice patina. Right. And if you get it too hot, you can burn the patina off your pan from a seasoning perspective. Right. So then you just got to make sure that when you do clean it, that you re-oil it and re-season it. Right. Yeah, um, and the cast iron so like a, if you're doing a blackened redfish, like they do in New Orleans oh, yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. I saw that there were more enameled cast iron. Yes. Why would we want that? Wouldn't that take away the effect of the cast iron? <coughs> no, like a Le Creuset pot is an enameled pot. I just made my roast pork in it the other night. Yeah. What I love about it is that, you know, a Dutch oven. So that would be one of the ones in my kitchen that I would have to have right. a little Dutch oven of some sort where you can braise. You can take it right out of the oven, put it onto a hot burner and take it as high as you want to take it. Uh, I love that pan for that yeah. reason. So I have one of those big Le Creuset oval deep dish. And those are, I mean, you cannot, you roast a chicken, you can do a stew, you can make a soup, you can do so many different things with that. So it's. Again, same thing. You can get it hot. It will keep the heat. And then you can cover it and put it in the oven and forget about it for an hour and a half, two hours, and then come back, you know, at 325 degrees, come back and you get this anxious, melt-in-your-mouth kind of dish. You know, Mm. it's like... All right, Chef, now we've got a 12-inch cast iron in your kitchen. What other one pan that uh, can you not live without? Well, I need need to have something that looks like a saucepan, something that can... So a saucepan would be like a two-inch straight-sided... Yeah, okay. even, 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 even higher than that. Okay. Four inch tall and about eight inch round. I need one of those because, you know, for anything, boiling water all the way up to, you know, reducing sauces, making 
you know, like little soup, like warming up soup or things like this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use that as a, as a pan. <clears throat> I think a flat searing and a deep dish kind of casserole. Mm-hmm. Those are the two number one pan I would buy. So I've got a Dutch oven, and so my last pan, if I had to, I would probably put a little uh, egg pan, like a little six or nine inch uh, nonstick, nonstick egg pan. Uh, I just think comes in handy for a lot of things. A nonstick six inch is definitely something that many people would say, oh, you know, stick pan. Well, I think it's very useful as well. You can't abuse them. You can't put them on high heat, right? You, yeah, you, you, you cannot. You have to be gentle, but it is very useful. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a... I think of that as the same as a microwave in the kitchen. You know, you poop with the microwave, yet, you know, if you use the microwave for what it's supposed to be, which is just warming up food, not cooking food, uh, you can have a very good tool on your hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's the same thing for, I don't have a microwave in my kitchen, but sometimes I'm like, God, I wish I had a microwave. All right, and my one kind of uh, out there, like, I don't have to have it, but I love using it, my wok. Oh, yeah. My carbon steel wok, it's super thin, I deep fry in it, I steam in it, I do all sorts of things with it, and it's, it's a, I could do it all on my other pans, my, my, especially my Le Creuset, but uh-huh. I, I think it's a fun <laughs> pan to have. I, uh, I like my crepe pan, I have a, crepe a very pan. classic flat 8-inch uh, crepe pan, uh, and I make crepe carbon, carbon steel or, or carbon steel, yeah. carbon, carbon steel. steel. Yeah. And I like it. It's very useful to make crepes, but it's also useful to make two sunny side up very quickly. <laughs> Just a little butter on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Crack your eggs. You know, do whatever you have on the side. Put a hole in your toast. Put the egg in the toast. Have a toad no. No, no, I don't do it like that. I just <laughs> straight up the eggs on the pan, and you have beautiful sunny side up in three minutes. All right, let's make a pan sauce in one of these pans, right? True. Which I don't like the cast iron for a pan sauce. I got to tell you, no, I it leaches I'm, too much stuff. Something we haven't touched on, and we'll talk about. Let's in the just next say, segment. on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show on ninety-seven-three FM. Give me pots, pots, pans, a lot of pots. Pots of pans, yeah, that's the way they like to play. Banging on pots of pans, clanging those pots of pans. I'm singing about pots of pans. My baby got sauce, your baby ain't sweet like mine. She got sauce, your baby ain't sweet like mine. Your baby ain't sweet like mine. We are back. We've got our pans on the stove. We're searing, we're scraping. Okay, chef, we're gonna make some veal scallopini. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. I haven't made those in quite some time. Isn't that funny? That's one of your favorites. And you're such a little veg head. Veal scallopini. We've got a nice hot saute pan on the stove. Uh, We've got some butter in the bottom of it. We've got pounded out veal slices. And the butter is in a. Are they breaded? No, no, no. no, Not breaded. Just veal scallopini. Veal scallopini. The butter is in a burnt noisette stage, so a browned stage. And we're going to put our unfloured. Now, it's not the same with flour on it. Right, right. That don't, your bits won't stick. Correct. To the pan. So our unfloured, salt and peppered veal scallopini into the hot burnt noisette. Yeah. Now what? No, make sure. Because I want to make a little pan sauce when we get done. No, mm. make sure you don't go too crazy on how long you're going to cook that because it cooks really fast. Scallopini is one of those things that that's why you need the brown butter to pick up the flavor and the searing right away, but not been cooking for hours so mm-hmm. you need to see it even on, minutes oh no it's you sear it on you count to 10 and you sear it on the other side count to five and then you take it out and you put it out of the pan now and it'll set and it'll drop juices as it's sitting there correct and now in your pan you've got these bits stuck you to get the bottom these bits the and you get that fat so okay. first uh, advice older advice would be to take that fat and 
just try to discard a little bit of that fat, but then you're left with bits in the pan. My first inclination is take a bunch of chopped shallots or chopped onion, throw that in there just to add to the, to the pan, move that around a little no. bit, caramelize that, then a little bit of white wine or red wine, one of the two. So it's the important part you just kind of glossed over was caramel. Because your bits are going to get even darker as you're caramelizing, and that's okay. Correct. Yeah, yes. no, it's totally fine. And then a little bit of white wine covering the, the bits. What's your favorite white wine to cook with? Dry white wine. Any dry See, I like, white I like, wine. I like dry white vermouth because it's herbaceous. Well, dry, dry vermouth is good. For this, I was going to use just white wine because I want a little bit of the acid bite of the white wine. Let it reduce that down. That means you cook it, bring it to a boil, and then you reduce it down so half of it evaporates. Then you put a dollop of cream in there, creme fraiche or cream if you have one of the two. Reduce that down quickly. Strain the whole thing up. No, wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. here we go. This is where This is where the past. You diverged. haven't even scraped the bits off the bottom of your pan. Oh yeah, yet. I did that the whole time I was you cooking. You didn't say that. Oh, though. I'm sorry. I didn't visualize the whole thing. So I have a wood spatula because you're using metal or a rubber spatula, and I'm moving all the bits that are stuck to the bottom of the pan out. So that can render that flavor into the reduction. You still have the nuttiness from the brown butter because the little milk is still in there. The fat's been discarded, but the little milk is still in there. So you get that flavor, nuttiness. You get the meat flavor, and you get the reduction that intensifies the cream flavor. So are we at a syrup stage at this point? Or? Well, at a syrup stage, yeah. Yeah, okay. You take that, and I, I like to strain it. I know Tom's... That drives him crazy. I don't care, chef. I'm over that now. But chop, I, I do a little chop. I use my immersion blender. Fresh chopped sliced parsley, and I put that uh, into the sauce that's been strained. Pour that over the veal scallopini, et voila. Garnish, steamed red bliss potato. Okay, let's go mm, back to your pretty. pan sauce for a second. I, you had me all the way through. You scraped the bits. Yeah. You got the white wine. The yeah. shallots have been kind of toasty a little bit, or uh-huh. the onion, one or the other. You've reduced it down to a syrup, right. and then I had stopped you because you didn't scrape your bits, but you said it's something about adding cream to that. Correct. Okay, so we're going to add a little cream to our or wine reduction. The wine is reduced first. Right. And then then we're you add, add the cream. cream. But not butter. Not butter. Cream. Okay. And then you reduce that down as well. Mm-hmm. So now you have this thicker... Like a creme anglaise thickness. Exactly. Yeah. It's called ruben on the spatula. Mm-hmm. See, anxious kind of kind of feel. Now, how can you switch this around? Like to me, if I was having uh, our producer over for dinner, I would throw a tablespoon of uh, Dijon mustard in that. Well, that's, so now you have a little mustard. I didn't know sauce. who I was cooking for. Well, I'm just saying, how else would <laughs> I'm you, could holding you ch- down on uh, my, that's my little. Uh, how else I got harissa and mustard as a as a backup? Okay, just in case. Depends on who's at the table. You know, you so got capers. You could change it with capers. You could do some diced cornichon. You could take cornichon and dice them and do that into that. Lemon zest? Lemon is absolutely a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Mushroom, you could add mushroom to your cream sauce. But you would have to saute those separately. Saute those mushrooms separately, add them to the sauce at the last minute, put that all over your, your veal. That would be delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, especially during chanterelle season, you know, it's a good, good sauce to do with the, uh, the veal. I like a fragrant herb with veal because veal doesn't have a whole lot of flavor. So right. I love something like tarragon. Absolutely. Or uh, of my, that nature. My herb of 2022. Is it? 2022 was tarragon year for Thierry. Yeah, we had a lot of tarragon appreciation <laughs> last year. I don't know what I'm going to do this year. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's, tarragon is a great flavor. Absolutely. It's definitely stronger right now than anything else on the market. 
except for from pasta. a or perspective, pasta, you mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely better than you know buying basil in January here is it's a little bit of a it's much less stronger of a flavor. So um, and also you could do something like pancetta, then you would have rendered after. You, so you sear your veal, you take the veal out of the pan, and you could put diced pancetta into your pan. That would render more fat. That would be delicious fat now because we're talking... Right. Pancetta pork. is Italian bacon, essentially, yeah. without the smoke. Correct. So yeah. you render that into your pan. And you had your sauteed mushroom. You put your white wine. You reduce that down. You move the beets around. You clean your pan, basically. You put your creme fraiche. Now you have a very special, almost like carbonara kind of idea mm-hmm. on your hand. Then you put on top of your veal. So we could go all the way back to the to the searing part of the veal, uh-huh. get it out, let it rest. It's going to throw juice, so you're going to sure. want to add that back at some point, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, a classic marsala. Oh yeah. So if you do oh, like a, a dry marsala, yeah. or if you or like port. it sweeter, you can use sweet. But port. port's to too be. sweet for me. In yeah. the '80s, like remember in the '80s, oh, like, everybody just, was doing veal and port sauce, especially mm-hmm. sweetbreads and things like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, yeah, so you can change your wine up and changes the dish entirely, right? right? Yeah. So, and you'll see many, many recipes for veal marsala. And if Italian you want to get more Spanish, you go sherry, yeah. you know, and you do some, some sherry wine, mm-hmm. which is a completely different flavor also. So, yeah, I mean, there is definitely some nuances to be And then if, you, if you're not a veal, or it's sometimes hard to find veal scallopini. You can substitute chicken or pork. Pork shop. Pork, uh, yeah. yeah pork or whatever. And you could also do red wine instead of white wine, which change... Entirely the profile as There's well. There's no real classic when I think about that. Is there a classic? Oh, Bordelaise. Oh, Bordelaise. But then you need some stock to go with it, like Ville yeah, Demi. you need bone marrow. You need stocks. Yeah. You need well, you a little bit more involved. Yeah, just a little bit. That's not a simple pan sauce. <laughs> Correct. But I was also reading um, that there are vegetables that make some caramelized bits. So you could do a pan sauce from... Oh. Your vegetables. And they also work good as a thickener, like if you have carrots that you take to a certain level of doneness oh, and you parsnip. use your immersion blender, you can thicken your sauce with the pureed carrots. Yeah, caramelized parsnip, very beautiful, blended, sweet flavored, and you can add to so many things. You know, we're talking about eggplant. Or next time, next time we talk about eggplant, we think about that too. You mean in like three minutes? Baked, baked eggplant, you know, you roast some eggplant whole, and then you take the meat and you can use that as a thickener to a sauce. Oh. That sounds horrific mm. to me. <laughs> horrific? You mean, you mean terrific. <laughs> and there's only one or two dishes I can remember of going to Rover's uh, and to Luke over the years that made me want to vomit. And one was your eggplant soup. Yeah. This is, oh, my God. <laughs> I, we all have our likes and dislikes. Uh, but of that, course. But eggplant soup to me is just not. Texturally. It just doesn't no do it. Bueno. And I like mushy stuff. Uh, we're going to jump right into that when we come back. Uh, it's eggplant time on the Hot Stove Society radio show, 97.3 FM. Now that we can know potatoes are just seen right there like a green tomato. Here I'm waiting, palpitating with all that meat. And no potato. All that meat and no potato. When my baby cooks her eggplant, she don't read no book. She's got a geoconda kind of dirty look. When my baby cooks her eggplant, by 19 different ways. 
Sometimes I just have it wrong with me Chef in the Chapeau and Tom Douglas uh, in your in your kitchen, in your garden, in your car, wherever you are. We're happy to, to join you today, and thanks for joining us. Uh, eggplant, Chef uh, Pamela, you are an eggplant freak, I would call you. I like it sometimes, but you love eggplant. So I, I like it baba ganoush, and I like it Chinese style, kind of hot seared in a wok. What's your favorite way to have it? I like it really deeply charred in the oven olive oil or on uh, the charcoal grill or on the charcoal grill so it's crispy and black and black but i i and when you say black you're talking literally black aubergine like the color of the skin of the egg yes yeah yeah and leaving the skin on because i love the contrast of the soft meat on the inside and the crispy skin okay so I looked up five different recipes, and I wanted to know... Because I want people to buy more eggplant. I, I don't get to eat it enough because my husband doesn't like it. So I've got to share my enthusiasm with you. <laughs> Thank uh, you. And the five that, uh, I like that. showed the versatility of eggplant were uh, eggplant and goat cheese sandwiches. And it was both pieces of eggplant, breaded and crispy, Soft eggplant, I mean, soft goat cheese inside, but they had an interesting twist on a tomato sauce with tarragon, which I've never put tarragon in a tomato sauce before, oh, and I good. thought that it would really lift it up, number one. Number two was a really spicy eggplant in a stir-fry. Maybe this is closer to what you like, Tom, uh, but they use a plant-based meat for it yeah. to keep it vegetarian, which... I don't Whatever. think you would do. Uh, What's wrong with chicken and pork? But I think it's important. It, it comes out a little bit like mapo tofu, whereas the, the ground pork and the tofu kind of yes. work together. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. could be a binder. The prettiest looking one uh, was this charred eggplant with burrata and a pomegranate walnut relish. And then it was all finished with beautiful gr- chopped green herbs. And then the good. pop of the pomegranate. That sounds uh, like something that maybe Otolenge would have. Yeah, it's very Otolenge. Yeah. And the one I'm going to make next, though, was the eggplant barrack, which was the vegetables and cheese and the ground meat in a beautiful phyllo crust uh-huh. that they put a diamond pattern on and had some nuts in the incisions. Uh, and finally, uh, you've got to have a stuffed eggplant. And Denise said they... It's Why don't a, you, is Denise still here? Maybe she can come over and tell us. She was telling us about one uh, that was made the Iman faint. Is that right, Denise? Eggplant? Yes, it's called Imam Bayulda. Imam usually does the call to prayer. So it was so good that he fainted. It's a stuffed <laughs> eggplant. You can either... Um, Add minced meat inside or vegetables. Is that very Turkish? I th- believe it is. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, when you stuff an eggplant like that, are you coring out any of the meat or are you roasting the eggplant and then making space for the stuffing? Making space for the okay. stuffing. So you yeah, you want the you meat. You don't core it out. Well, I know you do, but I didn't know if you put cored the meat and put that into the filling or if mm-hmm. you actually... So, okay. I think you could do both, but I think it's mostly... So you roast the eggplant on, yes. on the halves? You do. You okay. roast the eggplant, and then you stuff it with your choice of meat, or okay. you can keep it vegetarian. So cool. the kind of eggplant you use is the big globe eggplant? Yes. Cut in half and put it in the oven and baked? Yeah. Like that? 
So of these recipes, I wanted to know which one appealed to each of you. Which style would you go for? So for me, uh, one big revelation on eggplant was when I was in Morocco. Um, eggplant tomato salad in Morocco was absolutely incredible. And they used those smaller eggplant, which I think is also another secret of... There's different flavor in the eggplants, you know, the, what we call the Japanese the eggplant, oh, the, the globe Jap- eggplant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they use the smaller than Japanese eggplant. Uh-huh. And they're charred. And they're charred whole and used whole with the skin on. And the skin melts into the, your eggplant salad. Really, really delicious flavor. To me, it's delicate eggplant. There is no bitterness. It's all gorgeous eggplant flavor. And, that and just sliced tomatoes done with that? Sliced tomato, sliced onion. Okay. Sliced onion. And uh, uh, just olive oil and uh, a little bit of spices added to that. But very simply done and absolutely delicious. Because I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, eggplant is not something that I would necessarily run to just like that as a vegetable. But, you know, again, I was, that was a revelation because it was so delicious and so refined. Which is, I guess, where I'm contrasting with the eggplant normally. Yeah. It's not quite as refined and... So I think there is different cultures that have ways of preparing it, especially uh, Middle East and all that, all those areas where they use eggplant, uh, Afri- North Africa and all that. Yeah. And they have a usage of, um, of uh, eggplant that is definitely a much better side to it. Right. And you, you're right. On the, on the Asian side, you can have you know, the, the, the smaller eggplant that are well, That's what I use. Fried. I use the kind of the long, gangly purple ones. Right. And I cut them lengthwise, and I cut them at a, then on a bias. Uh, I hate cubed vegetables. Right. I, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, I cut on a bias, or I do something to kind of give it a little texture and shape. Uh, and so that, to me, is a great, you know, hot wok. And I, eggplant caramelizes beautifully. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there must be a lot of natural sugars in there because it caramelizes beautifully, and I do mine with... A hot black bean paste, uh, really delicious. I asked just Chef Charters to come over because one of the things that I really like, Pam, of your recipe list is the two breaded eggplants that right. are then used kind of like sandwich bread, and you can stuff it with lots of things. There's the deli that you worked in in San Francisco, and I can't remember the name. Vivande. Vivande. Oh, they yeah. had the best. When you walked into this deli, up on oh. the countertop, like just on a platter, they had these eggplant sandwiches. Tell us about those, because I think that's a super good lunch oh. snack. So on that one, we used to, it was Carlo Midioni that um, ran Vivande with his wife, Lisa. Carlo just passed away a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Smart guy, and he, really creative. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to get his books, the cookbooks from Vivande, because it was amazing how many different recipes. But this one's Sicilian. And he would take the globe eggplants nice and firm, run them on the meat slicer about a half inch thick. We would match them up, stack them on a sheet pan lined with parchment, and then build the sandwiches, which was a half slice of provolone and a half slice of mortadella. Stacked and folded with the cheese on the outside and shoved in between. So like a croque madame. Yeah, yeah. It's almost. Same concept, yeah. So, but the cheese is on the outside with oh. the meat in the middle, and you, we built those in advance, and we'd stack them in the walk-in. If we had big parties and stuff, we'd just do enough for the next day, uh-huh. and then uh, egg wash and breadcrumbs. So f- no flour at all, just straight egg wash. Yeah. And then, and so then we just build the sandwiches into the egg wash, into the breadcrumbs, and we'd pat the breadcrumbs right. down. To get them to stick, and then we'd load them onto a clean sheet pan that 
was lined with parchment and slathered with olive oil. Okay. Slathered. That way you didn't have to pan fry them. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and you just put it in there and then into a 375 oven. Uh-huh. You baked uh-huh. them, put another piece of parchment on top, flipped them, and continued to bake them. It was about 15 minutes on but each side. But you didn't side. press them at all? Like another sheet pan on top or anything like that? Because mm-hmm. they end up, you know, they deflate a little bit because they right. full of air, right? Right. Uh, and so... They come out these perfect little thin sliced with sandwiches. With the crispy crust of yeah. the provolone right. on the edge. You know, and he used the aged stuff. And, mm. man, those things. The other one I was thinking of as you guys were talking, the other one that he did a ton, and it's related to the one that you put in the coals, big, thick slices of eggplant, grill the, sh- the heck out of them. I was going to say something else. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and you have a marinade ready, and it's Sicilian. Mint, oregano, parsley, oh, yeah. garlic, lemon, and white wine vinegar. The minute they come off the heat, they get slathered in that bath. It's almost like an escabiche. In a, yep, yeah. and set onto a platter. Huh. Melt in your nice. mouth. Delicious. Nice. Good stuff. Okay, I like eggplant. <laughs> you know, if you, grill them, around. <laughs> if you grill them nicely and crispy, and then you just slice them Put them in a tomato salad or even just yeah. a salad. Oh, it's that's, delicious. Yeah. Really delicious. I just don't like the, like the puree, like I said. And, folks, I was kidding about Terry's soup. Don't, don't yeah. send do me mean? letters. People always <laughs> say that I, I'm too but, mean to you. But, I was Tom, joking. it's like the egg thing. If they're not cooked properly, they're nasty. Yeah. Yeah. When we come back, uh, Bridget Charters is going to stay with us. She's going to sit in the hot seat. As we dismember her through our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. You're making prediction again. Well, you know, she's sure to win if I do it. Uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door with a thousand million questions? Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. Time for Food for Thought, tasty trivia brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs, a family of blends, sauces, and mustards that belong in your pantry. These condiments will help you create distinctive flavor profiles in any dish. They're going to have fun mixing and matching them because... The number one question I get asked, can I use the salmon rub on chicken or the chicken rub on steak oh or God. whatever? Yes. Yes, you can. Feel free. Uh, let Rub With Love bring flavor to the pantry with our 19 different spice blends, including one designed by Miss Pamela Inkley, yeah. the veggie rub, uh, four sauces, and a must-have toasted shallot mustard, which I will say is really good. It's hard to find out there in the world, but it's really tasty. Locally, you can pick up what you need at our joints at Seatown and the Pike Place Market, Sirius Pie and Ballard. We're here at the Hot Stove Society. Uh, you can also visit uh, local stores like Ken's Market and Market Time, Town and Country Markets, or PCC. For our listeners who live around the country, please visit Pat's Marketplace in East Islip, Long Island, wow. Highland Fish Market in Louisville, Kentucky, or Princess Seafoods in Fort Bragg, California. Nice. So that is all over the globe. Nice. So our price today is a three-pack of... Somebody can choose their own from our gift shop over here. And I don't know who's going to be the winner, but that's... 
You have a very powerful position here today. <laughs> oh, boy. And then if you'll tell our listeners how to play the game, that would be fantastic. My three contestants are each going to get five questions. Uh, the winner is going to pick who in got. the audience gets our prize today. Oh. Wow. Whose birthday is it today? Anybody's birthday? Huh? Okay, that counts as today. the winner. We have our winner. We have our winner. If you were listening to the show, you would know what you won. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. All right. Terry's going first. Our chef in the hat. Yes. True or false? Cooking in an iron pot can add beneficial iron to your diet. Uh, I'm going to go with false on that. It's especially important for premenopausal women, children, teenagers who need extra iron and acidic foods like tomatoes or apples that cook for a longer time in an iron pot absorb the most iron. Number two, what do we call the caramelized juices remaining in the pan after meat is browned? Is so it vignettes, fond, F-O-N-D, or déglacé? A fond, F-O-N-D. Exactly. Is it a French word? I never yes. saw it before. Fond. Yeah. Fond. It actually means bottom. It means Just, under. Oh, under. It means clean your bottom. When, bottom. this is multiple choice, when did humans start cooking? 2,500 years ago, a million years ago, or two million years ago? Well, I would think they started cooking once they had fire. So uh, I'm going to go two million years ago. You are ago. correct. You're very smart. <laughs> Woo, Terry. Uh, also multiple choice. What do we call the process of submerging veggies or fruits quickly in boiling water? Or maybe you don't need multiple choice. Blanching. Exactly. And true or false, the color of your plates makes a difference in taste. I'm going to go yes with that because... We all know that red makes you really hungry. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, yeah, it does mentally maybe sub, yes. sub-mentally affect you. Yeah, your does deductive that? reasoning is excellent. According to NPR in general, round white plates tend to enhance sweet flavors, whereas black angular plates tend to bring out more savory flavors. And serving food on a red plate uh, tends to reduce the amount diners eat. I thought it was the I other way around. I red plates. <laughs> I know, it's very interesting. interesting. I thought it was the other way around. Small well, we eat with our eyes. People say it all yeah. the time. Yeah. Hi, Bridget. Thanks for joining Hi. us. All right. No Four out of five. Strong start. Yeah, but we have a uh, captain here. Which of the following kinds of pastas has the name meaning little worms in Italian? Would it be spaghetti, fidelini, or vermicelli? Vermicelli. Of course. Which dish uh, do we have when cooking beef in puff pastry? Baklava, beef wellington, or shepherd's Welling- pie? Wellington. Yep. Oh, she's so Screaming easy. today. So easy. Which of the following additives <laughs> consists that. of skins and bones of animals? Gelatin, custard powders, or carrageen? Gelatin. Exactly. True or false, if you need to cool down your drink, don't stir. False. True. Blowing in your hot drink or lifting it with a spoon is more efficient to cool it down compared to stirring because stirring adds kinetic energy to the drink, which increases its temperature. Very good, Pamela Hankley. That's a good question. That was a good one. Tricky. (laughs) And uh, this one is just going to take you over the top. Which shape, since you do the spectacular knife skills class, which shape do we have when we're julienning veggies or fruits? 
round shapes, cubes, or matchsticks? Matchsticks. Exactly. Was she five for four five? Out of five. Four. Four. Oh, it's a tie. Because I stirred. Tom right, Douglas. Tom, it's up to you. Oof. See if you could bring it home today. Which is uh, which of the following seafoods is also known as the Norwegian lobster? Skate, scampi, or scallops? Skate. Scampi. Scampi. <laughs> we had the audience. I have never heard it called Norwegian lobster. No, no me neither. But why did you know that we had an audience member know that? You must be Norwegian. Who is the god of food and drink in ancient Greek myths? Is it Ambrosia, Dionysus, or Hera? Not a clue. I'm going to go with Ambrosia because yeah, it sounds delicious. Yeah, because it sounds so nice, and, and it's ambrosia correct. Ambrosia salad's got uh, whipped <laughs> and, cream in it. And yeah, mayonnaise. it's cream. Yeah. Um, oh. What does it mean when we macerate slightly underwrite fruit? Is it heat slightly and soak in water, soak in a mixture of alcohol and sugar, or soak in a mixture of water and vinegar or lemon juice? Well, honestly, it could be either of the last two, or Uh, maybe even all three. But uh, I like, when I macerate, it's alcohol and sugar. Yes, that was the correct answer we were looking for. But you could do it any of the three ways. Mm. Oh, this one's too easy. <laughs> Pecorino cheese originally comes from which country? Oh. Oh. <laughs> the harder part would be what animal's milk is it made from? <laughs> Sheep's milk from Italy. Thank you. Taking it up a notch. And for the no, no, I can't. Oju is a Oju uh, is a culinary term originated from French. It means loosely cooked in. Do you want the multiple choice? Yes. No way. Natural juices. I don't, I don't honey understand. or wine. It's, it's the natural <laughs> juices, but I don't understand the the, the way you're using it. Uh, Loosely cooked in? Yes. The oh. origin of au jus. Is mm-hmm. from the natural juices. I get it. but Right. So that is the correct answer. I know, I know that, but I don't <laughs> understand loosely cooked in. Uh, that, well, origi- that yeah, because originally it's like a bouillon kind of idea. It's not really you would cooked put the meat in. Back in. You put the meat in. You put yeah. the meat back in yeah. and just let it swim around in there. Oh, so it's lightly braised yeah. in Loosely. a jus. Oh, jus. Well, whoever wrote these questions <laughs> needs a Fire lesson in Four producer. out of five. We all have four. Oh, whoever right. wrote these questions needs a lesson in clarity. All right. This show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical director, and our editor is the amazing Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah.